I better get on with the sermon. So welcome to those that are coming and joining us online, and welcome to Willow Park Church after those announcements. I said we were working our way through the book of Galatians, and we're going to have to do a little bit of heavy lifting, have to think about things that we don't normally think about. And in these, uh, chapter 3 particularly, we are grappling with the idea of the law and the fact that Paul actually says that the law does not bring life. In fact, he's teaching in the earlier verses that the law brings blockage. It stops the flow of blessing. It has become a problem to freedom, to life. It has literally become a dead end. Because when you try and do your faith in your own power, in your own wisdom, in your own strength, as I quoted John Bunyan, it's like the interpreter who in the house would spend all the time cleaning and he would choke on the dust of his own activity and work. That is a great picture of the law. That you, the more you do, the more you choke on your human attempt at working hard at Christianity. And we don't want that. It's not about working hard. It's about receiving by justification, by faith, that you have been saved through the work. In fact, Jesus Christ has done all the heavy lifting. Jesus Christ has achieved everything by being nailed to the cross. That is the, the very basis. And the law has a tyranny about it. That it's unforgiving. You break one, as it were, you break them all. It became a cage to Israel. It grabbed Israel and there was no freedom. And Paul triumphantly, in verse 13, declares that he who was nailed to the tree, to the pole, to the cross, became cursed so that you and I can be free from the curse of sin and death. Hallelujah. That's what he did for us. And that is a strong shift theologically. And as we grapple with it and understand it, as, as Karl Barth said, the great theologian, he says, it is unimagin- the unimaginable became imaginable because Christ's The son of the living God became the curse of humanity to break the curse of sin and death. Boy, when you understand that, it changes things. But now, the promise of Abraham has come. And that we can bless all nations, that promise has been fulfilled. So we may ask ourselves the question, why then the law? You may never have asked that question. It was a big question back in the early church in Galatia. Why the law? Why do we have the law? Why do we have rules? I mean, rules are everywhere, aren't they? And so we're going to uh, work our way through this. Um, Maybe get through 10 verses. But maybe. But brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to human covenant... That has been duly established. So it is in this case. Talking about agreement. Talking about wills. It's in the context of, of, be, of the will and the inheritance being given and bequeathed to an individual. In this case, the individual was Abraham. Genesis chapter 
12, verse 1, 2, and 3 there. He said to Abraham, I will lead you, part of the covenant. I will make you a great nation, part of the covenant. I will turn, I will bless you, I will be your provider. I will make your name great in all of the world. He will lift his name up. I will bless all people. People that curse you will be cursed, but people that bless you will be blessed, and we will be blessing people, and all the nations, all the families of the globe will be blessed as a result, you see. So the argument was, when there are these this, this blessing, this promise was given. Who gets this promise? They're after this promise, you see. They're looking for it. They're, 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 they're saying, and this great debate. Now we all love rules, don't we? Well, I don't know. I mean, if you come to houses, I've gone in many houses, and often the rules of the family are put on the fridge. Now, there are those nice rules of, of, of what we call fridge magnets. And so you put your fridge magnet on and there's those nice rooms. Always laugh. Always be kind. Always be honest. Always speak well of people. Always skip, savor every moment with the family. Have you seen those? Yeah. Uh, And, (laughs) right, and you go, oh, that's lovely because you know that it's there. And, but you know that when it comes to washing the dishes and putting them in the dishwasher, third, third world war breaks out amongst the kids. I mean, have you noticed that? I mean, I don't know what it is about my children, but they have an inability to take a plate from on top of the counter and move it six inches into the dishwasher. There is a deception of darkness and demonic power over the dishwasher they make something and then they and so you put the rules always clean up after you right uh, always put the dishes from your bedroom in the dishwasher always make sure that you put the item you're using to cook away True? This is not the Marriott Hotel, right? And you're saying that's nothing like we, you know. So you put the rules on there. You may have the list of rules, but compliance is a problem. Because you know that compliance only works when the heart is right. Why the law... Well, the problem is with the law, and we know there are lots of laws, there are 7 million people in prisons and cells in North America today because they broke the law. The laws exist, but people break them. The law is there, but it's at time is unable. And the whole point of these 10 verses is what Paul is actually saying is this. The law calls for... Righteousness to be act correctly, be right. The law calls for righteousness, but the law cannot create righteousness. See, what creates righteousness is only the inworking of God, His power, His strength within your life, and your heart being transformed and your heart being changed. So it doesn't work. 
Because we may have laws and rules and things, but the human heart is rebellious against God. And it becomes a curse. It becomes a problem. We rebel, don't we? I remember being in school and a boy there in the classroom, messing around and, 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 and not being as, as, as respectful as he should have been. And the teacher said, boy, stand up. He stood up. Get in that corner and stand in that corner and don't move and take that smug look off your face. And as I stood in that corner, my friends, <laughs> friends looked at me. You know what I said to my friends? I may be standing up in the corner, but inside of me, I'm sat down there looking smug. See, I may look as if I'm being part of, you know, complying to the rule of standing there. But in my heart, I am sat down, cross-legged, and I am smirking at you, teacher. God has saved me. You see, thank you. I feel that was Dave Block's voice. (laughs) Maybe. But you know, that's the problem. And that's the problem that we're grappling with here, is that there was this rule. You see, the Lord does not give life, and you will not find life through rules and regulations, and through the law, is what he's saying. And uh, so what was the great debate? Well, let's move on. So it's in the context of a will, it's in the context of an inheritance that is passed down from a covenant that came from Abraham. And the promises were spoken to Abraham, to his seeds, scriptures does not say, and to seeds. Meaning many people, but, and to your seed, meaning one person who is in Christ. So let's pause here and explain this. It was very simple. The Jewish belief within the Jewish culture was simply this. Abraham was the father of the nation. Therefore, Abraham received the blessing. Therefore, 430 years later, Moses received the law. And as a result, we become Jewish by following the law, and because we are Jewish by following the law, we are Abraham's children, and therefore we are blessed. Okay. So they saw it as a funnel of how it worked. So you go from one to the other to the other. Therefore, what is going on in Galatia is that you have to become Jewish and comply to the laws as well as believe in the Messiah to find salvation. And the nations must comply to this funnel and they must join in to this funnel to find true faith and be a child of Abraham. So this was a big deal. Paul says no. That's not how it actually works. Well, how does it work? It works like this, Paul says. Abraham, it is true, was called of God and received the promise, the great promise, the blessed promise, the promise that could change lives, the promise that can make a difference, the promise that was a blessing to all the world that reflects our heart and mind and was given this inheritance and this will. 
But as he says, it was not as it were for everybody. At that point, it was promised to a seed and to a person in the singular. And that person, it is promised to that blessing who is Christ. And Christ came and fulfilled and took the inheritance. And then Christ then gave the blessing to all the nations through the promise of Abraham, through what he achieved by dying and rising again on the third day, ascending up to God and to heaven, and then sending the power of the Holy Spirit. All nations will be blessed through one person, and that one person is Jesus Christ. So he's saying you don't have to comply to the law, we go from Abraham to Jesus to all people and all nations. And you and I are one of those people and we are all nations, right? So the mistake the Galatians were making was that they had to look to the law to complete the process of receiving the promise of God and the salvation. Fundamentally, Human nature is always looking for something somewhere, looking for some blessing, looking for something somewhere. And we want to connect to this. I actually think that down in our heart of hearts, the very nature of humanity is that we're looking for the components of the Abrahamic blessing. We're looking for meaning. We're looking for a connection. And we look for it in the most ridiculous places. I was on the internet the other day watching some different things and doing some research and you you can't control the adverts. And up popped an advert and the lady was giving a testimony about how life was terrible, marriage fell apart and about how she was penniless and had no money but she discovered the power of this certain bracelet made of this certain rock and brought together and hewn together with the symbols, with chants of, 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 of great uh, Buddhist teachers and you can, and the moment she bought it, her whole life came into alignment and suddenly things started to change and she got a job back she got a family back she got this back all because she got this amazing amazing um um, jewelry that she could wear night and day and, and you had to cleanse it and wash it and do it I can't believe what I was watching this, this she's saying and it was wonderful and you too can have it just click here and buy it for a thousand dollars and your life will be changed fallacy because the only way you truly find the blessing of God and those kind of things she was talking about is by connecting with the promise of Abraham and to connect with the promise of Abraham you connect with the promise of Jesus Christ and when you live in Jesus Christ we are a blessed people we are free people but human beings are looking all the time So what is the blessing of Abraham? That's important to answer. I've already quoted it to you. But in terms of that idea, you know, he says, uh, first of all, there are seven elements as you read those scriptures in, in Genesis chapter 12. And they're beautiful areas to pray into, actually. 
And people have different takes on them and different, but generally, first of all, it's the verse that the Lord says to Abraham, I will lead you. And as God's people, I want to remind you that God is always leading us, that we are being led by God. I will take you to that land. I will take you on that journey. And all of our lives, we are all on a spiritual pilgrimage and we are being led by God. And you can pray, Lord, lead me. Lord, guide me. It says, I will make you great, a great nation. What does that mean? Well, can I remind you this morning that we are part of a great nation. What is that nation? We are part of a great church, a global church of believers, whether in Africa, whether in South America, whether in Asia, whether in Europe, where there are believers, there are uh, uh, millions upon millions upon millions of believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are now part of the greatest nation of the kingdom of God that has ever reigned. We are part of God's kingdom. And when we pray, we can pray for the church and God's kingdom and that we're part of God's body. We're part of that. It is one that says, I will bless you. That first word of blessing simply means I will provide all of your needs. And maybe you've come this morning and you are struggling. And I want to tell you, as the Lord's Prayer declares, give us this day our daily bread. He provides for us according to his riches in glory. He is with you. And part of the Abrahamic blessing is praying that God will provide for your life and for your family and for your journey. Believe this morning that God is there to provide for you. He says, I will make your name great. It's good. My name is great. Phil Collins, I am great. You go, I don't know, preacher, you're getting a bit mad now. Not because I have the same name as a drummer or a Disney artist, my name is great like your name is great. Because my name is great and your name is great because it is written in the Lamb's book of life. Can I say that again? (laughs) Your name is great and my name is great. Because it is written in the Lamb's book of life. My uncle worked for the Queen Elizabeth. And I saw an invitation, a letter written to him, thanking him for some services that he did. And it was Paul Collins. And next to Paul Collins, at the end of the little note, was Her Majesty the Queen, Queen Elizabeth. Wow. His name was pretty great in terms of his name being on the same page, of a monarch. But my name and your name is even greater. He has made our names great because our names have been written in heaven, in the Lamb's book of life. And we can know that we for eternity have, have that wonderful knowledge of our names being written. So then says, I'll bless all people. The gospel, what we preach, the good news, the good news of salvation, as it goes, is the greatest blessing we can bring to this world. He says, I will bless those that bless you. I will curse those that curse you. I will have this, this relationship that you, are, you bring blessing and, and you bring presence. You know, that is our lives. 
That when a Christian turns up somewhere and starts to pray and we meet people, we can bless people. We can encourage people. We can be with people. You and I, we are vehicles of God's blessing to a broken world. We are vehicles of God's hope to a crushed world. We are vehicles of God's blessing. You and I, through our prayers, have the ability to bless you. Did you know that? The church blesses the world. And that all nations, all people, all families will be blessed. Now, what a thing to pray. And what, what Paul is saying is that promise that I've just gone through with you is not fulfilled through keeping the law. That promise is fulfilled through faith in Christ Jesus. And you live in the knowledge of that. And this week, in 20, this time in our 21 days of prayer, if only you pray those seven things each day in different ways as the Spirit shows you, you will see a change in your world. Because you're bringing God in line with what God wants. He wants us to have a strong global church. He wants us to be kingdom focused. He wants us to live with the knowledge that our names are written in heaven. He wants us to know that he will lead us and he will guide us. So what the answer is then is, let's read on. And the promise was spoken to Abraham. It came as an inheritance to him. He received it, Christ. What I mean is this, the law introduced 430 years ago, years later, does not set aside the covenant previously established by God, thus do away with the promise. So he's not linking the promise and the law together. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it is no longer depends on the promise. It's all about the promise. It's all about that God does not break his word. But God, in his grace, gave it to Abraham through a promise. Why then was the law given at all? Great question. Why then the law? Let me answer this for you. First of all, the law was given because... The law is present and it has an ability to hold back the tyranny and the darkness within the world. The law exists. Can you imagine a world without the Ten Commandments? Can you imagine a world without the guidance of the laws of God? The law existed to bring order. The law exists to hold back. The law exists, let me use this word, to restrain the powers of darkness and man's deep, dark heart. You think of the law and you think of the terrible things of leaders like Hitler and Stalin and Mao. You think of the law of the darkness of man's heart and his ability and the things that human beings can do to each other and act in that way. And what he's saying is the law, it's good because it, 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 it restrains evil within the world. You and I are glad to live in Canada because we do not live in a lawless society, but we live in a society right with laws. Secondly, the law is present because it actually reveals to you and I the very nature of our broken hearts. 
So I know that I'm out of synchronization with God and his will when I realize that I'm actually thinking and acting contrary to the heart of the law and it reveals my own brokenness and my own sinfulness. And that's why we run set free and there's one at the last weekend of the month so that we can do inventory of our lives. We can be honest about where we know that we're not living in sync with the work of the Spirit and the law of God and that is present in our lives. And thirdly, the law exists because the ceremonial laws show us what will happen eventually. There was the sacrifice in the temple. There was the lamb that was slain. And that one day, that was a shadow of what will be fulfilled in our lives as a temple and our lives with his sacrifice. The law shows us that one day all of the laws are fulfilled in one place, in one person. All is fulfilled in one individual, and that individual is our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we need the law. But he's saying the law does not give life. You cannot find life through the law. And he's saying very clearly that actually, we actually find life through the Spirit. And we understand that. For there is no condemnation for those now, for those who are in Christ Jesus, correct? Because the law of the Spirit has set us free from the law of sin and death. So what has actually set us free is the law of the Spirit of faith that has now come into our lives. And so as we look at this, with that said, when, the, when, when then the law was given at all, it was added because of the transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred to had come. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. Is the law therefore opposed to the promise of God? Absolutely not. It's not opposed. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. The law imparts knowledge about how we should be and the people we should be and how we should act But the law doesn't give you the heart to want to do it. You can tell me to stand up, but inside I'm sitting down. But what gives you the heart? It's when the Spirit comes and fills your heart and fills your life and is with you. But the Scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin, so that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. This is really interesting. Because what he's actually saying is, if we understand why the law, the law is there to reveal our true nature. 
The law is there to reveal that eventually it would be fulfilled in Christ. The law is there to hold back and bring order within, within the world. But he uses the word custody. uses the word, in fact, in the Greek, guardian. He uses the word and explains that actually what the law did, it was like a guardian who a young child inherited a great gift and the guardian, who would have been a Roman slave, cared for the young child. And then when the child came of age and everything was fulfilled, the inheritance was released to that individual. So the law was a guardian until that time when God revealed his plan of salvation for the world and the heavens opened and the glory of God came down and there was a baby born in a manger and Emmanuel, God with us, came. It was at that moment things radically changed and we no longer needed the guardianship of the law and the protection of the law. We now enter the age where you and I are brothers and sisters as sons and daughters of Abraham and we are children of God now. And we receive the inheritance. We are part of that. You and I are part of that. And so, so the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified. I love that word guardian. It's, it's a lot of debate about the actual role of that word, but it's pretty clear. Oh, some say, John Stott says it's a schoolmaster. Others talk about it as, you know, a matron. Or so. It has different, like a nanny or, or an uncle that cared for us. But then when the inheritance came, the, it was then received. Now that this is faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So what do we live by? We live by the law of the Spirit. What does this mean? Well, we won't get into this now, and I've noticed that you've been very patient with me as I've talked about these areas. But what does this mean to us now? Well, what it means to me now and to you is those lovely verses in Galatians 5, verse 16 through to 25. It makes a number of statements. It makes four statements, in fact. First of all, it says that we, as believers, should walk in the Spirit, number one. Number two, it says that we, as, as, as we are believers, we should be led by the Spirit. So I am a person now, a Christian, who walks in the Spirit of God. I am led by the Spirit of God. And I have the fruit of the Spirit of God within me. Love and patience and kindness. You know the fruits. And then I understand that. And then the final point was I keep in step with the Spirit. Four things. So I know that I am free from the law of the guardian. I but I am a spirit-filled Christian who always seeks 
to walk in the power of the Spirit, to be led by the power of the Spirit, to enjoy the fruits of my character being transformed by the power of the Spirit, and to keep in step of the Spirit of what God is doing in my life. That's why. So how does the law interact with me now as a Spirit-filled Christian? Well, the way that it interacts with me now is that the law continues, as I said earlier, to guide me. It reveals my own brokenness still. But the answer isn't in the law working harder. The answer is in surrendering, forgiving, confessing, seeking Christ's deliverance, and to have the power of the Spirit at work in my life. But the, but the law still has a guiding presence in my life. But my victory comes through the power of faith and the Spirit working within me as a Christian. And finally, we stay rooted in the promise, Abrahamic promise, but the promise is actually in the cross and that Christ died and he died for the world. And so I stay rooted in what he has done for us and the way that he has given his life I love that. I don't have the Jewish battle of the ancient church of Galatia particularly going on inside of me. But I have to, as a spirit-filled, born-again Christian, start to engage in the inheritance and, and the gift and be heirs of the kingdom that Christ promised me. And I need to walk forward, being in the power of the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, led by the Spirit, fruit of the Spirit, and in step with the Spirit in my life. To that little boy in that class that was told to stand in the corner and declared in the only way that that he could, I was sitting down all the time even though I was standing up. Two years later, met Jesus Christ. And when I got back into that classroom, it was easy to obey. Because my priorities and my values had changed. I didn't need rules on a fridge. Because God had etched them in my heart. And I was now a man of the Spirit. A boy of the Spirit. Of salvation. And the next teaching is on, you know, that we are now children of Abraham, Paul goes on, and talks about us as children of Abraham. Wow, you've done well this morning. We've gone deep. We've gone far. Woo! If you don't get anything out of this, the one thing you should get out of it is is Genesis chapter 12, seven areas of the promise, and, and pray about those areas and see them reflected in the New Testament and in the life of Jesus everywhere. Engage with them. Pray for them for your family. Pray for them for your church that you may be blessed. And remember this morning, your name is great. Not because you're great, but because your name is in the Lamb's book of life. Hallelujah. He's done that. Amen. Wow, you fought the snow and you came this morning. And we're battling our way through Galatians. Awesome. Let's stand together.